so much going on in the world today and so grateful we have an all-powerful God who's never anxious or nervous in a storm and not in your life either. I want to start with this question. What would you say is the most accurate measure of spiritual maturity? Like what's the best indicator that someone has, has really been growing in their likeness to Jesus? There's a lot of answers people might give and they might say, man, this person's really gifted or they're like, they read their Bible all the time or they, but the Bible is really, really clear and there's a message that's all the way through. In fact, if you wanted a Cliff's Notes version of this book, maybe some of you, do they do Cliff Notes anymore? I don't know what they call them now. But back in my day, instead of reading like War and Peace, all 500 pages, you just read two, right? And it was called Cliff's Notes and it gave you the summary and not that I would ever do that. <laughs> but if you want the Cliff's Notes version of the Bible, you find it in a couple places. And one of them is in Romans chapter 13. And here's what it says. It says, the commands of the Bible are all summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Here's what it's saying. If you really want to please God, learn to love people well. Like in, in even hard situations, that's the true measure of spiritual maturity. Corollary of that is this. If you struggle to value people and you just go, I don't really like a lot of people around me, it, it, we just be honest here, it's, it's an indicator that you need to go back and check like the foundation of your faith. Or maybe if you're on your way that you say, God, that's what I need you to do. I need you to work a miracle in my life. Friends, here's what I want us to do. I want us to, my heart is that Grace Church will continue to be known as a family of people who love well. Guys at Lorraine Correctional, really glad to have you with us, that you'll be known, you, those of you following Jesus as a group of guys in your cell block where they'll be like, wow, that guy, he treats people differently in a, in a really positive way. Uh, I, I'll get, uh, we get these first impression surveys from newcomers at Grace, and it's, it's encouraging me how often people will say, you know, it's like, how did you find out about grace? You know, what was your first experience, whatever. And how many people say, I just sense people want to be there. I felt loved. I, like, I, it was a warm environment. I, if that was not your experience, I apologize. I'm glad you're still here. But our heart is that we'll just keep on dialing that up, right? Because if even today you go, I don't really know that I love people that well. What we want to do today is this. We want to see what does the Bible mean by love? Like, what does it actually mean? It's not just some kind of syrupy, sentimental, like Taylor Swift or I, I love Taylor Swift, you know, whatever musician, Bob Marley, you know, you want to pick. That it's not just some kind of I feel today like I love and I don't, you know. No, it's, it's a, actually a courageous choice that we make to treat people with dignity and with value and especially people we find it difficult. Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew 5, he goes, anybody can be kind to people who are kind to them. He goes, you want the acid test of spirituality, that you're really growing in your spirituality? He goes, I want you to, be, to, to love and to value people who, who you don't like, who are not kind to you. And so what we want to do is look at this today and in the real stuff of life, you know, to say, uh, what does it look like to love my coworker when they launch another verbal grenade where I'm like, are you serious? Like again, 
Why do you have to be so difficult? Or maybe it's closer to home and someone you live with and you think, this person, they know how much that irritates me and they keep on doing it. Maybe you're a middle schooler or a high schooler. And right now, like when I was in that age, my parents were like not cool at all. You know, I, I was embarrassed of mom and dad. What did it look like to love my parents in that season? What does it look like for you to, to go, if I want to follow Jesus, how do I love my parents? What about people you don't really know that well? Maybe the guy who cuts you off on the highway. Someone that, I don't know, a neighbor moves in. That you go, God, what does it look like for me to love well? If this truly is at the heart of what it means to be a Christ-like person and to be doing well in your spiritual you know, vibrancy, how do we do it? And what does it really mean? And what happens if we don't do it? Let's take a look and see what Paul says in maybe the most famous passage in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, if you don't have a paper Bible, you can turn to the Bible app on your phone. We'll have the words on the screen as well. Just want to say hello to, again, to all the guys at Lorraine Correctional. Really glad. Some of you may know we have a uh, campus at Lorraine Correctional with a bunch of guys there, and uh, also to others watching in different places, engaging. Uh, really grateful to have you with us today. We're gonna do something here. We want you engaging online to do the same with us. You can choose if you're gonna be in group one or group two. But here we're gonna sort of, and at Lorraine, we're gonna just sort of say, over here to my left, you're group one. And over here to my right, you're group two. And we're gonna do sort of a scripture reading back and forth. So group one, you're gonna start us. We're gonna go back and forth. The final slide we'll all do together. Okay, so group one, here it is. Let's say it together, ready? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Group two. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. And then all together, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That's a powerful section of scripture, isn't it? It's probably been read at hundreds of thousands of weddings, but the fact is that Paul did not write it for newly married couples. It's appropriate for that. There's no problem with that. But he wrote it for all of us, and he wrote it in a specific situation where people were not really known for loving well. They were known for a lot of other stuff, but they weren't known for that. So in the middle of this passage, Paul says 15 things, 15 about what love does and does not do. And when you try to 
group these 15 elements into categories. There's two big ones and then a couple that maybe fall into the third one. But number one would be statements about how love is faithful. Like even when it's hard, love doesn't give up. The second round of statements are about how love is humble. It's not arrogant. 13 of the 15 seem to fit into those two categories. The other two talk about the good that love does, that love is kind, that it, 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 um, it rejoices when the truth wins. So you'll see in your notes there, if you've got your notes, maybe you've got some on the way in, or you can go to our website just, and go to the bulletin on the front page, and you'll see the message notes there. But, but Paul defines love in a way that his friends in Corinth, they knew like, oh, he's talking about us. Because he was, he was delving into like, very specific situations in this letter that he writes to this church in, in Greece. And they were doing things that were the antithesis of love. So in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he goes, you're, you're arguing and you're being divisive. 1 Corinthians 2, he's, 4, he says, you're, you're bragging about how gifted you are. In chapter 5, he goes, you brag about, you know, breaking through sexual boundaries Verse chapter six, they were taking each other to court. Chapter eight, they didn't care how their behaviors affected other people. They're like, I'll do whatever I want to do. I don't care how it impacts other people. And Paul's like, you know what, folks? At the very core of your faith, you're failing. This isn't the way that Jesus' followers treat people. It's not what love does. I think in the last few years, uh, there have been a lot of Jesus followers who they're like, well, I'll tell you what I think about that, you know, and they're, they're really confident that they have the goods, you know, and they can tell the world what, what's wrong and what's right. But have we really loved people well? Like, do they feel a sense of when I'm with this person, man, my dignity, my level of just worth, I just feel better when I'm with that person. And it's really interesting here is Paul makes the case that the opposite of love is not hate, but pride. It's the biggest list of descriptors that genuine love lifts up people around you. It doesn't mean, well, I don't hate them, so I guess I love them. No, it actually means you're not arrogant with other people. You're not always bringing the focus back to you that when you're with another person that they go, wow, I just feel more special when I'm with them. Genuine love is humble. So here's what Paul does. He makes five, he tells us what love is there. It was 15 things. But he makes five shocking statements to show us how meaningless our Christian faith is if it is not, first of all, marked by love. So if you're following along in your notes, the first shock statement that Paul makes is this. No matter how spiritual... I think I am. If I don't love others, my spirituality means nada. Here's what he says in verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. This hit close to home because the believers in Corinth were proud of how much they spoke in tongues. In fact, if you look over at chapter 14, you'll see, at least in my Bible, it talks about prophecy in tongues. Like that was the, that's gonna be what Paul talks about. We'll talk about that in a, in a couple of weeks here. But if you've never... Maybe you've seen the gift of tongues used on television. You're like, oh my, this is like weirded me out. Like it's confusing and scary. And what is it? It's sort of a uh, speaking in words that are not intelligible to other people around you. Often it's done privately. It's in a private prayer time where you're just like your heart is connecting with God's heart 
and you're pouring out your heart to him and it's in words that other people might understand. And it's, the gift of, it's the gift of tongues and it's a great gift used properly. The problem is that these people in Corinth, community church, viewed the gift of tongues, they almost had like an obsession with tongues, like it was the mark of, of spirituality. And they'd be like, oh my goodness, have you heard her? Like, I mean, she can speak in tongues for like an hour. It's unbelievable. She must be the most godly person here. That guy, man, I tell you what, he is like amazing. And you know what Paul says? He goes, I don't care how gifted you are in the gift of tongues or whatever the mark of spirituality. Today we might say, she reads her Bible for like two hours every you know, morning. Or this guy, he prays, you know, and, and they're like, they must be so spiritual. And Paul says, if you do all of those things, but you don't love people well, you don't make the hard choice to value the people around you. You know what he, he says? He goes, you know what it sounds like to God? It sounds like a banging cymbal or gong. A number of years ago, my parents went to Aldi's. That's a dangerous place to go. <laughs> they go to Aldi's and for $33, they found a drum set for kids. Three drums and one of these right here. I thought they loved me, you know? So they're like, hey, we got your kids a present. <laughs> After about 20 minutes, Mary and I wanted to say, we're gonna bring it to your house so you can enjoy the music that you know, our kids are making. So our one son, who was about three at the time, would sit on this little stool and would just, with all of his might, just like that, just the whole, I'm gonna do this the rest of the message, just while I talk, if you guys can. And you know what Paul says, he goes, if you don't love people well, all of your spirituality, that's what it sounds like to God. A banging cymbal, a resounding gong. More cowbell, right? That's what it sounds like. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? It's an old Saturday Night Live thing you can go watch sometime. You know, Paul's, he's, he's saying, I, I, want you to, I want you to value people most of all. I, I want them to, to know how much they matter to me and I want them to know through you. Paul continues. Verse two, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, you could say it this way, no matter how popular a teacher I may be, if I don't have love for the people around me, all my giftedness counts for nothing. When he writes about the gift of prophecy, he's talking about people who teach or who have a word, like they'll take God's word and they'll go, hey, the events that are happening in the world today, they're sort of, they, they tie the world events in with the scripture. Or maybe even sometimes they'll go, hey, God gave me a word, I think, for you that I sense that this coming year, and they might tell you something. It's sort of a prophetic word. And, and, it, and it can be a, a terrific gift. It might be on the platform like I'm doing here. It could be in a small group Bible study. It might be one-on-one, -on -one, but it, well, however the gift is, is expressed. And, and you know what? The, the people in Corinth were like really good at this. In fact, if you look back at, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, their teachers were like, like heroes. They were held in high regard. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse, verse uh, 11, here's what, here's what he says. 
He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. It's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. It's like they all had their own little fan clubs and they, they separated based on which teacher they were following. And, and here's Paul's thing. He goes, you can be the most gifted teacher there is. Like you can fathom the deepest kind of theological mysteries and be super well-read and informed by the greatest scholars. But if you don't love people, he goes, you're nothing. To put it simply, God is a whole lot more impressed with simple acts of kindness and choosing to love than he is with home run sermons. I had a friend in Chicago named Richie. Richie passed away of a heart attack and is heaven today as a result. Um, but he was a great friend. He was a single guy, did well in business. And he, be, he said, I, I want to pray for you. I just want to be like, can I be your prayer partner? And so I knew him when I was in grad school. And Richie and I, we, he was from a different religion, like different Christian tradition background. And so we didn't see eye to eye on some stuff. So he would tell me, he'd go, hey, I just want to tell you, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, like I know what you think, but she never sinned. And I was like, I think Mary was honorable, but I think she did sin. I mean, I think all have sinned, you know, and he didn't think gambling was a problem at all. And I, I, I thought there was at least a lot of, and we just didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And so he, He'd tell me, go, hey, John, you know what? I know we're good friends and everything. You're the pastor, he goes, but someday when we get to heaven, you're gonna find out I was right. <laughs> and I'd be like, you know, maybe so, you know, but, but Richie, he may not have, in my opinion, had all of his theological, you know, T's crossed and I's dotted, but he loved people so well. Like you'd go downtown Chicago and he'd buy the guy bought his coffee. I'm like, hey, Richie, you know, and and you're just like, and everyone felt treated with dignity and they mattered and they knew him by name. He was in his church. Everybody knew Richie. His colleagues, his, you know, people. I officiated his funeral several years ago and, and uh, he had told me, he said, Jonathan, you know, I, I, you need to make me promise that when I die, that, you know, wherever I live, so he was back in New York, so I go to New York and people flew in from around the country and said, hey, could, could, I, could, I, could I say something about Richie? And they would talk about like when they were feeling low or he just noticed that they were sad or, and, and how Richie loved them. And I, I look and I go, wow, I, I want to be like, I want to be like that where even if I don't have all the right thinking about stuff and whatever, that, that I would be one that, that really loves well. And I'm convinced there's going to be a lot of people in heaven because of the way that Richie loved the people around him. Paul goes on. He addresses the prayer warriors in the group, and he says, no matter how great my answer is to faith, feel praying, if I don't love people well, my faith is worth nothing. Verse two, he says, you might have a faith that moves mountains, but if you don't love, you're nothing. One of Paul's listeners read this and thought, okay, the guy's like, he's definitely overstating his case there. Because if you have a faith that can move mountains, like this person prays and you know cancer is going to be eradicated from that person's life. And all the people are going to be healed and the lives are going to be touched and everything like that, you know, and you just go, that would be amazing. And Paul says, you know what? It wouldn't be as amazing as 
as if you began to just value and give significance and humbly love the people around you. He goes, now that would be the mark of vibrant spirituality. In fact, look how bluntly Paul states our condition if we fail to love. Just three words at the end of verse two, he goes, if I, if I don't love, I am what? Like nothing. This is not like a minor problem in your life. It's not like a little pothole on the way to spiritual maturity. Like, yeah, I got all the other things pretty good. You know, I just don't really love people very well. Paul would go, oh, no, no. That's like terminal. That's like a sickness at the core of who you are. It's how vital love is for spiritual maturity, for being a person who really pleases God. Well, Paul's not done making waves at... Corinth Community Church, to those who are generous, he says in verse three, he says, if I give all I possess to the poor but have not love, I gain nothing. Here's shocker number five. No matter how much money I'm giving to worthy causes, it counts for nothing in heaven if love is not the supreme value in my life. Author Howard Hendricks uh, tells the story, this is a very revered guy, the Christian community, tells a story of being with a bunch of movers and shakers, very like financially successful Christians who want to make an impact for like, you know, kingdom causes. So they get together at this fancy restaurant, they're having a meal and they make their orders. And when the orders come, when the plates come out, uh, the one guy ends up with broccoli instead of green beans. And he calls the server over and lets her know in uncertain terms with a stinging remark her inability to get a simple order correct that I got green beans and not broccoli. She sort of goes, you know, slinking off, feeling like embarrassed, you know, this group of... And Howard Hendricks turns to this guy. He goes, hey, I have an idea. When she comes back to our table, why don't you tell her about the difference that Jesus has made in your life? <laughs> Just tell her your story of life transformation. Howard Hendricks could say that. Maybe we could all say it. The guy is sort of embarrassed because he realized that he just hadn't even loved the person who was right there in front of him made a simple mistake. How many times have you seen somebody who you had high regard for in a public setting and then maybe you saw him in a private setting and you're like, Maybe it's at a ball game or wherever. You're like, holy cow. And their influence in your life has been severely diminished because, because you're like, wow, I, I had, because I just didn't love well. You hear what Paul's saying? He, he's saying you, you can give generously, you can, but if you don't love people well, your impact is going to be dialed way down. One last shockwave that Paul sends about all of this, he says, no matter how much I may suffer for Christ, once again, it's all for nothing if you're not marked by a deep love for people. When Paul talks about suffering, he's not just talking about like you have a little bit of a ridicule for your faith or you gave up you know, a golf outing so you could visit someone in the hospital. Listen to what he says in verse three. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and... Surrender my body to the flames. Like it's the worst kind of death that I think you could ever have. He says, but I don't love. I gain, I, I gain nothing. 
Paul, I don't want you to miss something here. In each instance, he sort of goes over the top in describing all these great things that people do. He uses superlatives, right? Look, look at this. You might circle the key words in your Bible and your notes. In verse one, he talks about speaking not only in the tongues of men, but of what? Angels. In verse two, he says, you might be able to fathom you know, some mysteries. No, no, no. All mysteries, all knowledge, and a faith that can move not like a tree or a stone, but mountains. In verse three, he says, you might give all you possess to the poor, not 50%, not 75, everything, or surrender your body to the flames. If I could paraphrase what I think Paul is saying, he's going, hey, before you like cash out your life and, and do the martyr thing, he says, you know what would really honor God? If you stay employed and, and you just let my love, the love of Jesus, be poured out through your life to the people around you. The people in your, in your home, the people in your workplace, the, your customers that you serve, the neighbor that you find very irritating. If you would treat them with dignity and, and that, that would be better than giving all of your money to the poor, better than even dying at the stake, if you would love people well, that would be amazing. You know, I'm grateful we don't have to do it on our own. Um, it says in Romans 5 that God, the Holy Spirit, has poured out his love into our hearts. That we can just go, God, I, I, don't, I, I don't feel love for that person. And Jesus said, that's okay. Just choose to treat them like you believe I would want to treat them. And I'm going to help you on, the, on, on that journey. Because what Paul's saying here is this. If I don't love others, what this whole section is saying is that in the eyes of God, my life is a big zero. I'm spiritually bankrupt. That's what Paul is saying. Love isn't a special ability for a select group of people where you go, you know, hey, you know, I tend to be like an administrative person. I use my gifts that way. And they love people. I mean, they were just too, no, 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 no. Paul says, no, no, I want you all to be marked by love. So he wraps up this chapter with a few reminders. Let me just say this briefly. In verse eight to 10, here's what he says. Where there are prophecies, this is one day when Jesus comes again, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, when Jesus restores all things, when he comes again, what is in part will disappear. What is Paul saying? He's going, when we get to this, when we are in heaven, when all things are made new, our spiritual gifts will cease, but love never will. You think of these three, you won't have to prophesy about the future because you'll be enjoying the future that has been prepared for you. You don't have to use any kind of special languages to communicate with the Lord because you'll have a face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus. And you don't need a special gift of knowledge because you'll know all there is that you need to know. But love, love will always be central. He goes, all these other things will stop, but, but not love. He goes, love will always be something that will mark the people of God. Next, Paul lets us know that love is the best indicator of spiritual maturity. In verse 11, he goes, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. You know what he's, he's saying essentially this? He's going to people in the Corinth, and he's telling us, he's going, quit acting like children. He says, quit getting like, you know, divided over lesser things or like, you know, and just arguing about stuff that he, he's saying, I, I want you to be known, like I want you to be people who are marked by love. Doesn't mean you can't have opinions, you can't have, but you treat people as more important than your opinions. And then finally, number three, 
He would say this, we are most like Christ when we decide to love. This is how it ends. He says in verse 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is, is love. That's not to, to disparage faith and hope. Faith that says without faith, you can't please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. Hope is the expression of our faith. But, but in the Bible, it doesn't say that God is hope or that God is faith. It says that God is what? Is love. Like that, that, that's who he is. He doesn't just have love, he is love. So we're most like Christ when we decide to love. It's not just one more virtue that I cultivate in my Christian life. It's the most significant badge of identification for a follower of Jesus. To see people like he sees them and to love them like he loves them. Let me close with this. My wife, Mary, had an experience uh, at the grocery store. She's um, going out to her car, you know, and she's got the groceries in the cart and everything. And she's going out, and this guy was walking out about the same time she is. And so it's one of those things where you're like, to not say something would feel rude. She just makes pleasantry, you know, and says, hey, how you doing? Beautiful day, you know, and everything like that. And, and it turns out their cars are right next to each other. So she says, uh, you know, hey, um, he just makes a, asks a question. And he pauses and he says, you know, um, thank you for just your kindness to me today. He said, it was a year ago today that my wife died. And uh, it is a really hard day. And the tears began to come. And, um, and so Mary just said, I, I'm so sorry, you know. She'd never met him before. And so they chatted for a second and she came home and she said, Jonathan, she said, you never know, do you, what people are carrying in their hearts. Like you're at a grocery store, you have no idea the burdens that people have. The person sitting next to you in a, on a bus or on a plane or someone in a waiting room with you or someone sitting in the row with you at church or guys at Lorraine, someone who's in your cell block and you go, I, how do I even know the pain that this guy's coming in with and the, and the way that he's faced adversity in the past? And so we pray, Jesus, would you help me to see people the way you see them? Every person that I encounter with whom I lock eyes is a person for whom you died. And God, help me to love them, whatever that means, to make decisions where they will feel honored and valued and significant. May I be humble enough to elevate them and for them to say, man, if Jesus loves me like that, maybe he's someone I'd want to follow. Friends, may it be that we dial up our love in the power of the Holy Spirit. How are you doing in this area? Is it an area where you want to grow? If you were to replace the word love or it in this chapter, love is patient with your name. Jonathan is patient. Jonathan is, would it work? And if it doesn't sync up, can you ask the Spirit of God, to make these more real in your life. Let's pray and ask him. Would you pray with me? Spirit of Jesus, would you come fill our hearts with your love and Lord, especially love for people that we find it challenging to love. God, I pray for that in my own life. 
and that we'll follow your prompts to take the steps needed that other people will encounter you through us. Lord, make us a people who love really, really well. That we would be, in the words of Paul in Ephesians 5, imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children who are living a life of love. God, may we be courageous and strong to that end so that others can encounter you and your name can be honored. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. And everyone said, amen, amen. may it be. This song we're gonna sing is just, we're looking at who God is and may it be that he just pours out his goodness into us that we can share with others. Let's stand as the team leads us.